0: Okay, we're in Lesson 3 today. We're looking at the basics of the Christian life. And our whole purpose in our study is is to kind of assist you, give you a basic understanding of what it is to live the life that you have, the new life that you have in Jesus Christ. And specifically, we're going to be looking at things that you can do to help you in your walk with God, in your uh, relationship with Christ. So we're going to talk today about the Word of God. Now, before we get to it, let me just kind of remind you of a couple things. We're going to look, look and see, first of all, what the Christian life is. The Christian life is not a set of actions that must be completed. Now, especially as we get into the topic that we're going to talk about today, you need to recognize that when we talk about the Christian life, we are not talking about a specific set of actions that you need to do that you need to complete. So we're not talking about like, okay. I remember as a boy, I was a Boy Scout at one time, and there were specific things that you needed to do as a Boy Scout. There was a Scout Law and a Scout Oath, and you know you had to do all this stuff to get your merit badges and get your rank and all of that. This is not what we're talking about. For those of you who've been in the military, there were specific things that you had to do to be who you were, and to gain the rank and everything that you are in the military. We're used to that at at work. There are specific actions that were required of you at work. And what we do is is we take that whole concept, school. How many remember school? How many don't want to remember school? You know, and here's the reality. At school, there were specific things that you needed to do and whatever. Now, the problem is, is we bring that over into our relationship with Jesus into our Christian life, and it doesn't belong there. We reduce the Christian life down to, well, I I need to do this. I need to go to church. I need to give money. I need to read my Bible. I need to pray. And, And all of that really leads into what we talked about earlier, legalism. That's really not the Christian life. That's really not the Christian life. So what is the Christian life? The Christian life is a relationship with a living God. And remember, last week I said a good comparison to what the Christian life is like is like a marriage. Remember what I said, folks? I said that marriage is not a set of things that you must do. Remember, I, I kind of joked around about it, like at six oh five, I will rub her feet. Seven oh eight, she will have my dinner on the table. Now, some of you guys would like that, but that it's not. It's not that's not marriage. You can't, marriage is a relationship. It's not a set of actions to be completed. It's the same thing with the Christian life. The Christian life is basically a relationship with the living God. So, when we talk about you living the Christian life, we're talking about your relationship with God. Period. Your relationship with God. Now. The first and key component of that relationship is the Word of God. So this is what we're going to get into today. The first and key component of that relationship is the Word of God. So we're going to understand today why it's so important for you to have a Bible. Why it's so important for you to read your Bible. So, we're going to talk today about the Word of God and why it's a key component in your relationship with God. Now, actually, what we're going to do is we're going to spend probably two or three weeks here because this is going to be the main component. We're going to look at a lot of other components, but this is really an important component. So, as we talk about this component, the next thing we're going to look at is the wrong approach to the Word of God. So... There are some things, there are some approaches that we can take with the Word of God that are wrong. So I want to address those first before we get into some other issues here. So first of all, here's a wrong approach. The Bible is a task to be completed. Now most most of you will fall into this trap and you don't even realize it. Where your concept of the Bible is... It's something that I need to read today. And how we can fall into that trap is very simple. So, for instance, I have a daily bread here. How many of you use the daily bread? Raise your hand. A lot of you. Most of you do. Okay. Now, the daily bread is a great tool. Now, you've got to realize, though, that daily bread can, can, whether you realize it or not, become a tool Or a task to be completed. It can become something that you... Okay, how am I doing today in my relationship with God? Okay, I did my daily bread. Check. And when I did my daily bread, I read the Word of God. Check. See, the Word of God can become a task to be completed. Now, how do I know that it can become a task to be completed? So, let's say you have a busy day. Let's say, for some reason, something's happened... And you got to get up early in the morning, a lot earlier than you normally earlier get up. And so you don't have your time in the Word that day. Chaos happens all day long. Stuff is going wrong. And you don't have your time in the Word of God. In fact, folks, chaos happens all week long. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Stuff gets completely out of hand. Your schedule, your routine is totally gone. And guess what falls on the wayside? Reading the Bible. Now, how do you feel? Let's get some honest answers here. How do you feel when that happens? Huh? Defeated. Okay? Jim's being honest. How else? How do you think God looks at you now? Everybody's shy. Guilty and frustrated, okay. You think God accepts you? Okay. Okay, you feel like you let God down? Okay. Anybody else? What are some other feelings and stuff that you might have? Now, here's the thing. All of those answers reflect something. That you view the Bible... As a task to be completed. Did you understand what I'm saying? So, so let me show you how futile that thinking is. Most folks are here are married, so let me ask you a question. You know, it's it. Gloria and I. One of the things that we do in our marriage is is that every night, whether we feel like it or not, whether we're happy with each other or not. Um, we talk to each other at night before we go to bed. Kids go to bed, we'll sit down and we'll talk about the stuff from that day and talk about tomorrow and talk about other stuff. And, and sometimes it's intense, okay? Sometimes it isn't. But we talk every night. Now, but there are times, though, when stuff happens that we can't talk every night. For instance, like, I can almost guarantee you if we have family over or we have guests over which we sometimes do, we can't have that time to talk to each other. You understand? We can't have that time to talk to each other. Now, does that end our relationship? No, I'm still married to her. Does she still love me? Yes. Do I still love her? Yes. Now, here's what I want you to see now. Do I feel disconnected from her? Yeah, I'll put disconnected. She'll feel disconnected from me until we sit down and talk again. But that does not mean that the relationship has ended. This is what happens when you begin to view things as a task to be completed. Especially when you talk about the Bible. If you don't get into your Bible time like you should, yeah, you're going to feel disconnected because that's true in any relationship. But it doesn't end the relationship which a lot of us think happens. Does everybody understand what I'm saying? So a wrong approach to the whole issue of the Scripture is to say that it is a task to be completed. Now, what's the next issue here? Here's the next issue. Here's the next wrong approach. Now this statement, I want you to think about it. This is a wrong statement, but you might be thinking it's a right statement, but it's a wrong statement. The Bible contains the Word of God. Now this has to do with how you view the Bible. The issue here has to do with how you view the Bible. Now, you might be saying, I don't have a problem with that statement. Well, there is a problem with that statement. I'll explain it here in a moment. The problem with the statement is, is that people who use this statement, the Bible contains the Word of God, also add another little statement to it that is, It contains the Word of God, but there might be things in it that aren't the Word of God. everybody understand what I'm saying? So it's not the Word of God, it contains the Word of God. So as you read it, whatever speaks to you, whatever speaks to you is the Word of God. If it doesn't speak to you, it's what? It's not the Word of God. Do you understand what I'm saying? This is why this is the wrong approach. So your viewpoint is, as I approach the Bible as just a book, and if it speaks to me, that's the Word of God. But if it doesn't speak to me, then it's not. There's no relevance there. Do you understand? This is a wrong approach. Now, everybody confused by what I'm saying? Because I see some looks like, what's he saying? No, no, it's, it's, this is actually very true today in a lot of liberal churches. This is true in a lot of churches where they don't put any authority with the Word of God because they'll say, it's whatever it is to you. And whatever it is to you may not be what it is to me. You understand? The whole concept here, it's almost a postmodern way of looking at it, is that there's no absolute truth. You understand? You understand? It contains the Word of God, but it's what it is to you, not necessarily to me. Do you understand? So, that's another wrong approach. Here's another one. The Bible can, can only be understood by those who are educated. The Bible can only be understood by those who are educated. Now, this happens a lot. I shared with you, oh, this probably happened, oh, 15... Sixteen years ago, we were in a church. They had a pastor who was preaching. Um, and I, I don't know. Sometimes there are good pastors and there are bad pastors. This pastor and his message was way out there. And at the end of the service, one of Lori's relatives came over to me and said, Boy, I just might as well give up reading the Bible. There's no sense. I'm like, why? He said, because man, he can see things there that I can't see. I should just give up. He's got the education. And I'm sitting there and I have the education, and here's what he's and I'm thinking this. I didn't say this out loud. Yeah, he's seeing things that I don't see there either. So we have this concept where we think the more education you have, the better you understand it. Well, no, listen to me. We're forgetting some things. First of all, I want you to remember, most of the Bible were written by men who were common people. Okay? Common people. Now, yeah, Paul was educated. So was Moses. But Amos wasn't. Peter was what? What was Peter's vocation before he was called by Jesus? Fishermen. In fact, the the religious elite in the Book of Acts, when they hear Peter and John, recognize that these were what ignorant fishermen, except that they had been with who Jesus. Here's the other thing: when you look at the New Testament, the New Testament was written in Koine Greek. Now, what's so interest, What's interesting about that is, is yeah, scholars study Koine Greek. Now, the reason why it's a dead language. But in its day, in the day of Paul, it was everyday language. It was the slang of the streets. So the Bible was not written in classical Greek. It was written in the everyday street language of the Greek. Do you understand what I'm saying? That would be like someone writing a letter today, one of these letters in the New Testament today, in everyday talking here in Clearfield County. And how you know it's everyday talking because they'll put in things like red up and yuns and it's right there in do you know what I'm saying? It's right there in the letter. And you know that that's not proper English, right? Because it's got ain't in there as well. Do you, do you see what I'm saying? It's in the everyday language of the common person. What happens is, is that as we remove later on down the time we begin to think In terms of that the only people who can read it and understand it are educated people. No, that's not true. That is a wrong approach. You can read it and understand it. Does everybody understand me? You can go to the scripture and read it and understand it. Now, here's the other thing. Here's the other problem that we have with the wrong approach to the book, the scriptures. The Bible is seen as a book of promises. Oh, wait a minute. I don't know that I got a problem with that one. Yeah, there is a problem with that one. Because the Bible is more than just a book of promises. Yes, there are promises in the Scripture. But the Scripture is far more than just a book of promises for you. There are promises, but there are also warnings severe warnings. So it's more than just a book of promises. And, and how this is illustrated is, is that maybe you've done this. Lord, I need an answer from you today. And so, where, where am I going to go? Tell me what I need to do. And Judas went and hanged himself. Maybe I need to go somewhere else. Go and do likewise. Likewise. You've heard that one before, right? I mean, that's, that's the approach, is that we look at it as some sort of thing to, what do I have today for me to, for like a horoscope thing. It's not a book of promises. Okay? It's not a book of promises. Let's, let's go on now. Now, here's the other one that's dangerous. Only certain versions of the Bible are the Word of God. Specifically, folks, uh, the main group that really holds this wrong view are those who believe that the King James Version is the only version of the Bible. And can I be honest with you, that viewpoint is not based upon scholarship or common sense. That viewpoint is based more upon ignorance than anything else. Now you say, what do you mean, George? Well, first of all, let me give you my background a little bit, okay? When I first started out in ministry, I used the King James Bible. It was, I went to an independent Baptist church where it was King James only. I once held to that the only good version that you should use is the King James. Now here's the problem with that. That was based more upon my ignorance than it was upon anything else. The reality is, is that if we really want to get technical about it, the only true Bible is the Bible that's written in the original languages. Now, how many of you have a Greek understanding of Koine Greek here? How many of you have an understanding of Hebrew? How many of you have an understanding of Aramaic? Those are the three languages that the Bible is written in. Some of you are like, who? I'm telling you, this is where it is. Now, what we have today is, is that we take these original, those manuscripts that are in those languages and we translate them over into the language of the people that are being used. Now, here's the problem, though. The King James Version today that most people accept as being the only version of the Bible, that's not even true for itself because it's not reflective of the 1611 What do you mean? Well, the 1611 was written in the language of its day, which nobody uses anymore today. If you were to get a 1611 Bible, none of you could read it. Because English has evolved. In fact, the King James, if you have a King James Bible here, it is the 1769 revision. It was actually revised 11 times before you got the one that you have right now. Now, we use in our church... A New King James, which is the 1984 revision. The 1984 revision, but the guys who hold to the 1769 revision don't like that revision because here's what they've determined. They've determined that certain pronouns are sacred. That you have to use the these and the thous. Now the problem is that that's not Biblical. The issue is is that we get the Bible in the everyday languages of people because that's where the power is. The power is you reading the Word of God, not just one certain version. Now, here's the other problem with it. Two things happen. Here's what I've noticed. When you hold to a version that is written in a language that's no longer being used, two things happen. Number one, you create ignorance. Because number one, people who have that version, unless they've used it all of their life, that means unless they're older, which when they studied in school, when they studied Shakespeare, it was like their King James Bible. Kids today, first of all, that Bible is written on a grade 13 level. The average person today reads on what level? Eighth grade level. That is what the average magazine level is. Eighth grade level. When you study Shakespeare in school today, is it still the these and the thous? No. So it's a language that's not used by young people today. In fact, the most common complaint that I hear from kids, especially like in our Chill Zone program, when I ask them, do you have a Bible? They'll say, yeah, I have a Bible. I said, have you read it? Here's what they'll say. I can't. I don't understand what it's saying. Well, and I don't look at him and say, well, come on kids, smarten up. No, I understand completely because what you don't know is is that there's our books now, King James dictionaries that pastors have to translate and give you the meaning of words that are no longer being used in our language today that are in your King James Bible. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? So, what, what it creates an ignorance because if we keep telling everybody this is the only version, nobody's going to read it. The younger people aren't going to read it. Here's the other thing that I've noticed. We got a publication about ten years ago here at the church. Uh, the guy who wrote this is now dead, but he was in that movement of King James only as being the King James version of the Bible was the only version. And in it, here's what he said. He was advocating the use of the King James Bible. And he got a question from someone that said, you know, I'm using my King James Bible, and I don't understand something. Should I use another version to understand what it's saying? And the guy said, no. You need to wait for your pastor to explain it to you from the pulpit. And if he doesn't explain it to you, then don't worry about it. Now, can I tell you what that is? That is a form of medieval Catholicism where you are to rely upon who? The priest to explain everything to you, and if he doesn't explain it to you, then it's really not worth you what? worrying about it. That's medieval Catholicism. Okay? That's called Baptist Catholicism today. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because what we're doing is is we're saying that your whole spiritual life, your understanding of the Bible, when you advocate one version and you don't understand it, it's really left to one guy who's educated to explain it to you. Do you understand what I'm saying? This is a wrong approach to the Bible. So what we advocate here is, is that there are several good modern translations The New King James is one. The ESV is another. The New American Standard. Uh, The 1984 edition of the NIV is a good one. All of those are good versions for you to use that you will understand because the power isn't in me telling you, although there is a component of that. The power is in the Word of God for your life as you read it yourself. Do you understand? Oh, by the way, those of you who are King James only, maybe you don't want to admit that, but I will tell you something. If you use the daily bread, it's not based on the King James. It's based on the New King James. You understand? So, it's really a position of ignorance. So, I I don't mean to be offensive, but that is a wrong approach. Let's go on then. Here's a proper understanding. The Bible is a revelation of God to man. So if I'm going to look at this scripture, I need to understand that the Bible is the revelation of God to man. So it's not a book of promises, it reveals God to me. The book is God's revelation to me of who He is. Do you understand? The book is God's revelation of God to me. Here's the other thing. The Bible is the word of God. It's not doesn't contain the word of God. It is. Every little piece of it, every word is the word of God. If it's his revelation, therefore every aspect of it is the word of God. Do you understand? So what you're holding in your hand, if you have a Bible, is the fact that it is God's word to you. Do you understand? It is God's word. Every little bit piece of it Now, here's the other part of it. The Bible is inerrant. Now, what does that mean? It is without error. Now, some of you might argue with me about that and say, well, you know, at the bottom it tells me about these deviations and variants. Well, what we're saying is that the original autographs, when it was written by the writers, it was without error. Now, Deviations and variations can creep into it over time and centuries. But I'll be honest with you, when it comes to every major issue of the Bible or major doctrine or whatever, there's no error there. There's no disputing the main issues and the passages that have been written. So the Bible is inerrant. It is without error. In fact, First Thessalonians says this, For our exhortation did not come from error or uncleanness, nor was it in deceit. That's what Paul says about the Scripture. Here's the other one. The Bible is inspired by the Holy Spirit. There's something different about this book. This is not Moby Dick. This is not The Lord of the Rings by Tolkien. The Scriptures, all of them, all 66 books... We're inspired by the Holy Spirit. Now let's remind ourselves, who's the Holy Spirit, folks? God. If it's His revelation, He's inspiring it. He inspired the writers to write it. Second Peter 1 says this, verse 20 and 21, Peter says this, Knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation, for a prophecy never came by the will of man, but by holy men of... But by holy men of God, holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. They were inspired by the Holy Spirit. Here's the other aspect of it. Here's another proper understanding. The Bible is authoritative in our lives. And whether you accept this or not, really doesn't matter. Because it's really not up to you whether or not you agree with us. Because we live in a postmodern society today that really takes the viewpoint that there is no truth and whatever truth is to you that's your truth but it may not be my truth and blah 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 really that's really I don't really care what your viewpoint is on this this is the bottom line whether you accept it or not the Bible is authoritative period and it's authoritative in our lives it's authoritative in your life so when the Bible says something and it says this is the way it is or this you shouldn't do or this you should do it's authoritative. Because it's God's revelation to us about His ways, who He is, and what He wants. Do you understand? So the Bible is authoritative. It's authoritative in your life. 1 Corinthians 14.37 says this, If anyone thinks himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things which I write to you are the commandment of the Lord. Paul saying the things I write to you are the commandment of the Lord. They are authoritative. Now here's the other point. Here's the other thing you need to understand. The Bible is key to the Christian life. If you want to know what you need to know about your relationship with God and how to grow in your relationship with God and how to live the life that He wants you to live, the key component of that is what? Word of God. It's not how you feel that day. It's not what you think that day. It's not what somebody else tells you. It's what the Bible says. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's what the Word of God says. That's the key to your Christian life. The Bible is the key to your Christian life. Now, here's the problem. You say, well, man. Okay, I've tried reading it. I don't understand it. I'm doomed. Here's the next thing you need to understand. We're going to have a proper understanding. The Holy Spirit helps us to understand the Bible. The Holy Spirit helps us to understand the Bible. Now, let me ask you a question. How many of you would think that this is a great way to approach it? If here you are, you're reading a book, and you have access to the author... You think you'd call them up and, I guess I don't understand this part that you've written here. Could you help me understand this? Or talk to somebody who's never written it, but maybe is trying to figure it out on their own. Who would you rather talk to, the author or somebody else? The author. Here's the thing, you say, well, all the authors are dead. Well, yes, but the one who inspired them isn't. Do you understand what I'm saying? So if the Holy Spirit is the one who inspired them to write it, do you think the Holy Spirit will help you to understand it? Alright, now listen. In fact, here's what the Scripture says. Listen to this. 1 Corinthians 2, 10-16. Here's what Paul says. But God has revealed them through us, through His Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of man except the Spirit of man which is in him? For even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things which have been freely given to us by God. These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. For who has known the mind of Christ that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. What's he talking about? We have the Spirit of God. See, the Spirit of God will teach you, will show you what you need to do. In fact, listen to this. This is Psalm 119. David writes this. Open your word that I may see wondrous things therein. That's his prayer. You know what I would do is as you're reading it, as you're using it, as you're trying to get to know God and what He wants for your life, I would begin my time in God's Word with this. God, open up Your Word today that I can understand it. Show me, like David said, Lord, wondrous things there. Do you know what I'm saying? See, you've got to ask the Holy Spirit because He's going to help you to understand it. He's going to help you to understand the Bible. Now, I think we have a few more things here. Here's a proper approach. The proper approach, we must become men and women of God's Word. Paul writes this in 2 Timothy, But be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a workman that does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the Word of Truth. You need to become a man and woman of God's Word. It needs to be a part of your life. And here's the other part. The other proper approach is we are commanded to live according to God's Word, to, to the Word of God. You're commanded to live according to what He says. It's not a take or choose option. Well, I like this over here, but I'm not going to do this over here. Listen to what Jesus says. Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my Father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with him. If he does not love me, he who who does not love me does not keep my words. And the words which you hear are not mine, but the Father's who sent me. So here's what he's saying. Your love, your relationship, is going to be reflected in what? Keeping what? What? The Word of God. So that's the proper approach. Okay, so here's what we're going to do next week. Because you might be saying, okay, that's a good overview of the wrong approach, a proper understanding. Okay, so how do I get the Word of God in my life? So here's what we're going to do next week. Next week, and it might take two weeks, we're going to focus on five ways for you to get God's Word into your life. Five ways for you to get God's Word into your life. And so we're going to talk about those next week. Okay? Okay? Anybody got a question? Yeah, Denny. Alright, I'll, I'll, I'll try to help you. Those are two different things. When we say the Bible contains the Word of God, there is a possibility that it may not contain the Word of God. You understand what I'm saying? What, the person who says that, it's a very fine line. The average person doesn't know this, but for some pastors, you know, you go into a thing and they'll say, Do you believe the Bible is the Word of God? You know, when you're checking with a pastor and a pastor, he'll, he'll say, Oh, I believe it contains the Word of God. Oh, that's a good enough answer. No, no, what does that mean? Here's what it means. He believes that parts of it is the Word of God. Parts of it are not. you understand? The Word of God is contained, but not everything in a container is the word of God? Let me give you an illustration of what I'm talking about. So I get a box that comes in the mail. What they're thinking is, is what speaks to you is the word of God. What doesn't isn't. But what speaks to you may be different than what speaks to me. Okay, so I get a package in the mail. Let's say I order a part for uh, my camper, and I get my package in the mail, and I know that this package contains my part. So I open it up, and there's packing material. Is that my part? But in the bottom is this little wee little thing. If you notice that, they pick a big box to ship you a wee little thing. That's my part. So what I say is, is that this box contains my part, but it also contains a lot of other stuff too. See, this is the concept of what we're saying is wrong here. What we're saying is wrong here is this. The Bible either is the Word of God, or it isn't. That's the proper way of thinking. When we say that it contains, we're also saying that there's a possibility that there's some filler in there. Do you understand what I'm saying? Does that help you to understand? Anybody else confused by that? Anybody else? Okay. Okay? Alright, let's close our time. We've got to get ready for the morning worship service.